Welcome to the My Story Podcast, where we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs telling their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. My name is Conrad Weaver, and I'm your host for the show. And this is episode number three for those of you who are counting. Today on the show, we're going to hear an interview I had with Jason Brubaker. But first, a little bit about the sponsor for today's show. Kanjo Studios is an award-winning video production company whose focus is helping you tell your story. Telling stories that matter is our focus. Whether it's your corporate branding story or a documentary film you'd like to produce, Kanjo Studios has the experience and knowledge to bring your idea to reality. Visit KanjoStudios.com and click on the Get a Quote button and let them know what you need. I know you'll be glad you did. Hey, be sure to listen to the end of the show where I'm going to give you this week's action item. Something you can do right now that may make a difference for your future. And now, here's today's interview with Jason Brubaker. Today on the show, we are privileged to have Jason Brubaker with us. Jason is in the motion picture distribution industry, and as well as digital marketing and sales management, and he's a dog owner. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I love it that you threw in that I was a dog owner. You know, prior to having my dog, um, I would have never included that in any sort of bio. Uh, because I always thought dog people were weird, uh, but it turns out as soon as you get one of these little fluffy creatures, you fall in love with them. So that's absolutely, absolutely. I saw that on your uh, on your LinkedIn page, and I thought, you know, I'm going to include that. So first things first, what kind of dog do you have? Uh, she's a little bit of a mix: uh, poodle, rat terrier, and a little bit of a. Uh, one of those uh, long wiener dogs. Uh, we found oh, out gotcha. because we, we we did one of those goofy DNA tests. She was she was a she was a rescue, and we're happy to have her. So you can do a DNA test for a dog? Yeah, you can go on Amazon.com. We bought this kit for, I think it was like $70, and it came back 25%, 25%, and 25%. And then the additional 25% that I didn't already cover, uh, it just said other. So we don't don't know what that is. (laughs) So really a mutt, right? (laughs) Really very much a mutt. Yeah, Yeah, I I was a dog owner until, I guess, last fall when our beloved – Princess uh, decided that her time here was over and uh, went over to the other side. But oh uh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. And you know what? It's funny because that was—I mean, it wasn't funny, but you know, my kids had always said, "Oh, Dad, if Princess ever dies, you know, you're going to be the biggest one to cry." And I'm like, "Ah, no, nah. yeah, I was." <laughs> I know how that goes, and uh, you know, uh, these dogs are wonderful. They bring in—they bring such joy to your life, and they teach you so much about yourself, and they teach you about patience. And I think, you know, based on what you're saying, if, if we're going to kind of focus on the silver lining here a little bit uh, in both business and your personal life, I think what dogs help you realize is that, you know, life's short and you really got to put your best foot forward and, you know, not to sound overly cliche, but you got to treat, you know, you, you can't take any day for granted. Absolutely. I think you have, you've nailed it on the head there. Uh, so speaking of your life and your business life, uh, where did you grow up? What and what journey did you do to get you where you are today? I, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, and you know, right outside of Harrisburg, in the center of the state, about an hour and a half north of Baltimore, um, two and a half hours from Philly, three and a half hours from Pittsburgh. So, kind of right in the in the you know south central area of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and 
In terms of my journey, I mean, growing up, I didn't really have too many role models that were outside of, you know, uh, my, my worldview. And what I mean by that is most people that I knew growing up, their aspirations consisted of just getting some sort of job somewhere that paid pretty well, you know, that they could go to every day, have the weekends to themselves and, you know, hopefully eventually one day retire. And a lot of those jobs were either factory work or farming work or some sort of labor or, or something along those lines. So growing up, I didn't know too many success-minded people. And, and what I mean, I mean, there's a certain degree of success, obviously, if you want to raise a family and do all that kind of stuff. But my focus, you know, back then was really like, how do, where, where are the entrepreneurs? How do I do more in life? And, and who do I know who's doing that kind of stuff? And I, and I, didn't, I just didn't have that kind of exposure. Um, mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough, my senior year of high school, I went um, to Bloomsburg University with a friend of mine. You know, I was still in high school. And it was the first time I was exposed to like a college party and college life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was this great keg party. And I realized <laughs> after that awesome weekend that I should really go to college. So <laughs> for the cake parties, right? <laughs> I mean, unfortunately and fortunately, right? Unfortunately, right. that was <laughs> that's what uh, made me think that's what made me think I should probably do something else, you know, other than stick around my hometown. And uh, what that did though is I, I started applying for colleges and and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I ended up actually going to the same college where I enjoyed that wonderful party um, mm-hmm. and had a you know, a really good education there from the sense that they didn't have a motion picture program, which became my interest, but it was a good education in the sense that it got me out of my hometown. It got me meeting new people and all of the people I met, you know, a lot of them came from, to put it bluntly, a lot of them came from privilege, you know, where they, they grew up with these families that are, were very college focused and goal oriented and that kind of stuff. And I, and I remember going uh, to some of my college friends' homes, you know, outside of the suburbs of Philadelphia to visit for the weekend. And we would sit around the table and everybody would be talking about politics and all these kinds of like sophisticated subjects. And I just remember feeling like I was really like out of my comfort zone because here were people that were thinking beyond, you know, just the kinds of things that I was exposed to growing up. Was that a big risk to to move, to, I'm going to go to college. Were you the first in your family or were there? Yeah, I very much was the first in my family. And I'm, I'm, I hope I'm coming across like, I'm trying to paint a picture of where I'm, where my background took me because, you know, the point is that what I want to make in terms of the point, it doesn't necessarily matter what your background is. What matters is kind of focusing on uh, the next step, whether that's your education or your personal growth or your business. But yeah, it was, it was a risk. I, I was scared to go to college. I mean, I, I was lucky to even have that influence to even think about going. And then once I got there and, and as I'm saying, you know, meeting all these people, I was, I was terrified. Well, what did you do to get to where you are now, though? My my senior year of college, they had this. Uh, I, I saw I, I saw this piece of paper on a door. Uh, it was a sheet of paper that said, "Hey, do you want to you want to stay here this summer and make a movie?" And it was this course offered by a professor that already that always had a hankering for motion pictures. And his idea was, you get a bunch of students together, everybody bucks up a thousand dollars, and you make a short film. And so that year or that summer, you know, I had to take a job selling um, spas and hot tubs 
at local carnivals <laughs> to make this thousand dollars. And, and the coolest thing that happened there, not only did I, was I able to make the thousand dollars, but I also learned how to sell. Hmm. And that stuck with me probably, well, obviously to this day, like sales is a big component to everything that I do. Mm-hmm. So that really sets you up for the future. I started, you know, after making that short film, I, I started shopping it around to, to try to get into graduate programs, uh, including like USC and UCLA and, and uh, the new, you know, NYU and, and these different places that had a huge pedigree for being great film schools. And mm-hmm. I wasn't able to get into any of those film schools. So mm-hmm. in, instead of uh, continuing my education, what happened was I, I found some ways uh, through families and friends to move to New York City. And I actually started my career working for an independent motion picture producer fetching coffee. Uh, so that was the next big step in my career. And, you know, just to fast forward, and I'm sure we can j- dive into some of these details more, but these days I'm invited to USC and UCLA to do guest lectures. So I guess, you know, it kind of worked out and I don't have to, you know, I don't have a big student loan debt either. So you had had sort of that, that initial entrepreneurial spirit where you had the can-do attitude of, I'm going to figure out how to make it work. It wasn't so clean cut. I mean, whenever you do these kinds of conversations, it always seems like, you know, you had it all figured out one thing after another, after another. And and in truth, what really propelled me was I went back after college to my parents' house and just really didn't know what I was doing. And, and uh, I knew I wanted to work in movies. No other vocation appealed to me more but I was stuck. I remember sending resumes out to Los Angeles and I was sending resumes to uh, New York City and nothing was happening. You know, the part that I left out was I actually found work in a in a small market film and video production company where I cold called them. I got a meeting with the CEO and he informed me, you know, we had this uh, meeting and he informed me that they really didn't have the budget to bring me on. But they had a cleaning crew that came in twice a week to mop the floors and scrub the toilets. Would I be interested in that? And so they ended up they no longer hired that cleaning crew and they they hired me to come in and mop floors. And that proved to be a really, really good move for me because even though it was small market film and video production, in between mopping floors, I got to participate on all these different projects and local television commercials and that kind of stuff. So I was, I was learning a little bit about the film and video production side of things. But more importantly, Joe, who was the CEO of that company, he had a former intern that turned producer in New York City, and he hooked me up with that guy. You know, one night I got a phone from this guy. His name's Dean Crego, a really good guy. And he was like, hey, do you want to come in into New York for a day? I'm doing a corporate video and I need some extra help. And I hopped on a train. I remember it was like they were going to pay me a $100 day rate. And by the time I hopped on the train and went into New York, you know, that, that was almost $100. So I was essentially, you know, <laughs> going four and a half hours out of my way to work for free. But I really wanted the experience. And then I met somebody on that on that shoot that knew this other guy that became the producer I worked for in New York. So once I had that connection and, and kind of, you know, stayed active and really tried to present value in every conversation I had with folks, one thing led to another. And that's what ultimately led me to move to New York. You know, I think something you said there, you know, where you offer value, I think that's something that young people today need to understand that, you know, like I've been on sets before. I'm a film producer as well. I've been on sets and there have been people there, you know, on their phone, you know, texting whoever. And and so I teach people that work for me. I said, look, if we're on set, 
you need to add value. You need to be in, be there in the moment and be present. And, you know, no, I don't want to see any phones on set. I don't want to see anybody, you know, doing things like that, that don't add value, take away from what we're doing. And that are some of the keys to success, I think, for, for all of us. If, if we can be present and, like you said, add that value to what's going on. You know, what was interesting about that first shoot in New York, again, you know, I kind of painted the picture at the beginning that I'm from this rural farming community. So imagine like going into New York and seeing the big buildings and all that kind of stuff. I was just, I just enjoyed the activity. Hey, go fetch some coffee and bagels. All right, you got it. What else do you need? And interestingly enough, that day, a camera guy failed to show up. And so by the end of the day, they'd put me on camera and they gave me a $50 raise. So I ended up, you know, I made a few dollars that day, but. <laughs> That's awesome. That's More importantly, awesome. though, it set into motion this idea that if you can, if you show up and you're the most enthusiastic person there ready to like just do whatever it takes to get it done, people notice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I have a friend of mine who is a storyboard artist and he works in Hollywood and, and he has a story similar to this, but he, where he chased down a director because he wanted to work for him and literally drove across the country and bugged him and bugged him until finally he was there fetching coffee. And today he's done storyboards for some of the biggest blockbusters that are, that are out there. And so, but it just took that willingness to put aside, you know, pride and to do the low job on the totem pole, so to speak, to, to make it happen. You know, I've, I've been in the career now for about 15 years, maybe even a little longer, but I'd rather just say 15 because it makes me feel like I'm still really young. Uh, and <laughs> You know, I'm this year I'm revisiting some of those fundamentals because, you know, I've, I've gone through several phases in the career. You know, I started out in this conversation by talking about how I fetch coffee and all that stuff. But now I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm paying I'm playing a bigger game. I'm doing some stuff that I had once only dreamed about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working full time in film distribution. I spend most of my days talking with independent filmmakers from time to time. I meet celebrities and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, there's a certain fun to talking about it. But what really gets me going, aside from, you know, the fun things that we're talking about, is, is I realized you know, the thing that, that I find most fun in life and in business is reaching out to people that are hard to reach, building mm-hmm. relationships with them, and then trying to figure out ways to do deals. And, and how do you do that? I mean, how do you, okay, you have someone out there that, oh, I'd love to, you know, work for him or do, th- do this for her. How do you make that first connection? Because they're so, you know, a lot of celebrities are so insulated, you know, from the rest of us. The celebrities kind of come because I, I have a friend of a friend um, who who introduced me to a lot of people. He also went to, to Bloomsburg University with me. And, and when I first came out to Los Angeles, he made a lot of introductions in those early days that have like planted the seeds. And now all the people that he kind of introduced me to are playing a big game. Now that's on the celebrity actor side. Mm-hmm. On the motion picture business side, which is what I focus on most and dive into is, you know, what I do is I, I really just re, I, I kind of, uh, I kind of target some people that I think would be really interesting to meet with. I try to imagine myself meeting with them. And when I meet with them, I try to imagine myself presenting some sort of value, some sort of angle. Like, why are they spending time with me? Their time's so valuable. What value can I bring to the table? And I try to leverage the things that I've done and the value that I think that I can bring in some areas where I think that I can help 
And, and you got to really find the balance between trying to be overly presumptuous, pretentious. There's kind of this balance between being very hu- humble, um, but at the same time, letting people know that you're still hungry and you're trying to trying to work, you know, on some ways to, to maybe work together. And anybody that's ever sat down with me who was a little bit outside of my reach, it, it came after weeks, if not months, if not years of me kind of being persistent without being annoying. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have not just uh, this one off thing where you send an email or a text message or a tweet and they come knocking on your door, right? Oh my gosh, no. Oh my gosh, no. And, and you know, that's funny. Remember earlier, I, I said one of the, my first experience in college, learning how to sell, like, the, you know, I learned very early that if you don't ask, you don't get. Hmm. And there's, there's an art to it, but there's so many people that give up after the first no or after somebody just kind of shrugs you off or they don't get back to you on time. And I had a friend of mine who, who was in sales and she said, you know, when they say no, it just means not yet. I, I kind of agree with that. I, I've also heard it that, uh, you know, every no is one no closer to yes. I, I kind of live by that mandate. Uh, I've also heard statistically it takes you about seven attempts to even get a meeting with somebody uh, mm-hmm. if it's a cold person. So in order to warm that up, you're, you're going to have to use some measure of persistence. But the only real reason people are going to meet with you is if, if you present value, if you find some sort of angle, because nobody wants to just sit down and have you pick their brain, right? Because, right. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't want to come just across be a taker. Can't just take, take, take. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and again, I don't want to come across as being like overly egotistical here, but I've at least reached a certain level of, of you know, notoriety in whatever game I'm playing with, where when people email me and they're like, hey, I just want to hop on the phone with you for an hour and pick your brain. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's an hour where I need to be making like, you know, 50 outbound calls to try to get meetings with people that I'm trying to do some business with. Like, th- like there's no value in that. And, and look, I'm, I'm a nice guy and I'm not trying to pretend like, you know, that's that, I'm, that I wouldn't want to help people. But at the same time, at, at the same time, my family comes first and I got to figure out how to put food on the table. And so I almost find it almost borderline insulting if I think somebody should know better and they're still acting that way. Like, look, if you're fresh out of college and, or, or, or high school or you're moving out of your hometown and you're just looking for something, anything, then – I'm probably inclined to give a little bit of advice there. But if it's somebody that's, you know, quote unquote professional trying to level up their own career and, they're, and they want to pick my brain, wow, you're going to have to do a better job of just presenting some sort of value. Like what's in it for uh, the person that you're trying to reach out to? I've been chasing a, a person down that I met at a film festival some years ago that's working in major motion picture studio distribution. And I've really wanted to just sit down with him. We hit it off pretty well. We, we shared a flight together. And then that flight ended up, you know, we were in the same hotel and I, and I caught up with him at the hotel bar. So it was kind of like an ongoing conversation over two days. But, you know, we get back to L.A. like he's busy. I've been, I've been pursuing, uh, you know, breakfast for about a year and a half at this point. And I need to, in a very short amount of time, come up with, you know, frankly, some ways to, to help add some value if I can and, and find something, you know, uh, to your point that makes him the hero. And I, and I don't quite yet know what that is, um, but that means I'm going to do a lot of research. I'm going to find out more about that studio. What are they working on? What are they doing? How do I think that I can help? Is there somebody I can connect this person to that might help him with his career? You know, all those kinds of things. So it is very much going to be about me trying to focus on what's in it for him. 
And then at the same time, I'll benefit a little bit. And, and like, look, I'm just kind of telling you this process because I, I think everybody would benefit if they really thought more about this. But I'll benefit a little bit by strengthening the relationship. But I'm, I'm building the relationship based on trust and me trying to present value first. At least that's my objective. And if I present some value, make some introductions, sooner or later, something might come out of that, some sort of idea, some sort of opportunity. What is your purpose and what is your mission in life? It's changed a lot. And and to be completely transparent with all the listeners, I'm actually going through a phase right now where I'm trying to figure out the next the next steps in my own mission in my life. Because here here's the thing. I'm at this interesting place in my in my world where whatever got me to this point, you know, and I've heard the statement before, this isn't something I'm making up, but but it kind of rings true with where I'm at right now. There's a saying that says whatever whatever gets you to where you're at isn't the same thing that's going to get to get you to where you need to go. And so I'm in a place right now where I'm wondering like, what is next for me? What is the next big step? Right. I think it's to, to find some way that my wife and I can spend more time together. I wasn't married when I started on this motion picture road. And now my wife and I are married or I am married, obviously. And I have a wife and, and we're talking about, you know, having a family and suddenly my values have shifted to where it used to be career before family because I didn't have that family. Now my family is going to come first, but at the same time, I need to figure out a way to be fulfilled in my own career. Experience has taught me a couple things. I've been, I've been through these areas of, of sort of uncertainty in my own life before. And whenever I go to these areas, which I, you know, it's funny that we're having this recording right now. When it, Whenever I go to these areas, I, I just employ a strategy that helps you no matter where you're at in life, which is to learn new things and meet more people. So what I've been doing as, you know, as I, as I kind of alluded to in the earlier part of this conversation, I've been, I've actually made a goal to reach out to at least one heavy hitter that scares me every day to try to get a meeting. And the reason why I'm doing that is because if I can get a meeting with somebody that's playing some sort of bigger game, who is on some sort of mission, it's going to help me refine the next steps in my own mission. I mean, I guess in ways akin to you interviewing a lot of, you know, successful people for this podcast, in a sense, you're doing the exact same thing. But see, that's a whole, I, I think that's the fun of life is like, sometimes you hit those periods where you're like, oh my gosh, what's next for me? I kind of checked this goal off the list. How am I going to figure out what's next? Well, the only way you're going to do it is you're going to meet new people and you're going to learn new things. So mm-hmm. simultaneous with me reaching out to some people that, you know, frankly, I'm a little bit nervous to reach out to some of these folks. In addition to that, I'm also made it my mission to listen to at least one podcast or audio book, or watch one sort of educational video every day and really force myself to do that. So what's happened is until I figure out and, and really refine my mission moving forward, at least for the next chapter in my life, I'm going to continue meeting new people and learning new things. That's awesome. What are some of the, the books or podcasts and or people who have had the most influence on you? Well, books come to mind pretty quickly. Like I, I read a book kind of when I was still in college and, and it reframed the way I think about business and money. And that's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I read that book and it kind of expanded my thinking. It, it I think the, the subheading is what the rich teach their kids that the poor, poor middle class do not. 
it's kind of one of those things that's pretty polarizing to say. And, and I was intrigued. So I read that and that got me on a mission to where I was like, well, I want to learn more about how money works and how, you know, people can be financially intelligent and how you can kind of get out of the rat race and protect yourself from downside. So th- that book had a huge influence. Thinking Grow Rich had a huge influence. Those two come to mind, but but there's been many, many different audio trainings that I listen to. Uh, Brian Tracy's a guy that I listen to. I've gone to some weekends with Tony Robbins. You know, I do any of this kind of stuff, even if it's a little bit wacky, um, because again, I'm trying to meet new people and I'm trying to learn new things. So you're constantly learning and growing yourself as a person. And I think that's something that more of us need to do, and especially young people you know, coming out of college need to, your education doesn't stop when you get your diploma. That's really, I think, where it starts in, in a lot of ways. And I think as, you know, I've made it a mission myself to listen to a podcast every day because I, I find it, uh, I, I listen to podcasts when I'm working out. In fact, I listen to your podcasts a lot. So we're going to we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But uh, so I've made it my mission. I read every night before I, before I fall asleep. I have a book beside my bed that I read. I have, a, I have a whole stack of books now that I've read over the last number of years. And so I'm constantly trying to learn and to grow and to just improve myself as a person, as a business, you know, as a, as a husband, as a dad, uh, and as a human being. And I think that's important for all of us to do. I just listened to a really awesome audiobook called Can't Hurt Me by this guy named David Goggins. Uh, highly recommend it. So speaking of podcasts, you have the Filmmaking Stuff podcast. Talk about that and about how that got started and how that kind of goes with what you do today. Yeah, Filmmaking Stuff. So I I started the blog and website publication and the podcast Filmmaking Stuff. Uh, frankly, when I was at a different chapter in my life, um, I'd left New York City. I moved to Los Angeles and in the process – uh, got together with some folks and we made a feature film. But what a lot of people don't know is behind the scenes, I had somehow stumbled upon like a really lucrative job with Lehman Brothers of all places. Hmm. And when I got that job, I thought that I was, you know, I, I, I felt that I'd won the lottery. Here I was uh, coming from rural Pennsylvania and somehow working for one of the most well-respected investment banks in the world without any sort of like former formal you know, financial education. And I was just, I was, I was just amazed at my luck and good fortune. And I got in a really terrible mindset back then that because I was doing okay financially, because I had some status, because I had an expense account, because I got to fly around a lot and had, you know, a lot of frequent flyer miles. I I actually thought that that had something to do with my intelligence. And I thought, and this is, by the way, it's really hard for me to share this stuff. Um, but I, but I feel like I need to because I, I want people to know that you know we're all we all go through this stuff as human beings, mm-hmm. and I got in the, I got in this dumb mindset that I I was so smart that I could figure out all these problems that the reason I was successful was all because of me and me 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 and I became very like I. I don't think I was cocky. I think I always kind of appeared humble. But in the back of my mind, I kind of just had this air of confidence that might have bordered on cockiness. And to be truthful, like sometimes I think I might have been arrogant. And I wasn't trying to be like a jerk. I I just hadn't grown up that way. And I thought that I had arrived. Well, as soon as I got comfortable with the mindset that I was going to retire early and I'd be able to produce my own motion pictures and probably buy some rental properties and do all sorts of fun stuff. 
then the economic collapse happened and Lehman Brothers had to happen to be the bank that went under. So mm-hmm. I remember I was on a conference call with our then managing director and it was like all of us in our division were on that call. And, and it was just, you know, our managing director comes on with our attorney and he just reads this, you know, form letter that says at this point in time, all of you are terminated. You'll receive some stuff in the mail. And at that moment, like back in 2008, I had a Blackberry and my Blackberry just went blank. Um, (laughs) And, and that was it. And I remember, (laughs) I remember like everybody's hanging up from the conference call. If you've ever been on a conference call with multiple people, you'll hear, you know, the beeps when everybody's hanging up. And I remember my old coworker, Dave, just in the void says, wait, wait, I have a question. I have a question. And and it just echoed into (laughs) silence. And that was the start of the economic collapse, not just in the, in the entire world, but in my own life. And mm. I, I got wiped out. I mean, I, I tore through some savings pretty quickly. I downsized my apartment and I was out there trying to find a job, however, anywhere I could. And, and like the worst place that I applied for was this place where I could sell cardboard boxes. <laughs> and I was just sort of like at the end of my rope and, and to kind of kind of cope with it. I decided to start filmmaking stuff because we'd made this stupid zombie movie and we had distributed it through Amazon digital at a time when digital was a new concept and we were making pretty good sales, you know, and, and I started blogging about how we were able to make those sales and one thing led to another and, and other people said, well, how do you do that? I want, I need to do that with my film. And, and that's how filmmaking stuff came about. I started the podcast shortly thereafter, and the whole mission was to teach entrepreneurial filmmaking. How can you make, market, and sell movies without the middleman? And that was finally possible because of digital distribution. We'd seen the same thing happen in publishing. We saw it happen in music, and I knew that back in you know 2008 when I started that whole thing, uh, filmmaking stuff, that it was only a matter of time until motion pictures would definitely be distributed digitally. The industry has definitely changed in the last, even the last five years. Say, I would say even in the last year, the industry's changed a lot. I mean, it's it's really interesting the trends that I see talking to so many filmmakers. Years ago, iTunes was all the rage. Now everybody wants to be on Netflix, but maybe Netflix isn't the best deal for everybody. But regardless of of where filmmakers end up with their product. I think we can all rest assured that these days everybody wants to watch whatever they want to watch when they want to watch it. So the world of demand or video on demand has become the norm. And and this idea that you'd have to wait around for something, you know, especially with what how Netflix introduced binge watching, yeah. it's definitely changed. You know, that's something I've really I've really benefited from your podcast and listening to it. You know, I'm a I'm a filmmaker and but uh, it's really been a blessing to have your have access to your podcast and to listen to the things that you talk about there uh, whenever you post them. So I really appreciate it. So thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, and uh, it, it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm sure you can probably hear it if you listen to my podcast. Um, 90% of them is really just me talking to you. And by you, I mean you and all the listeners. Whenever I do a podcast, I, I just I don't have a lot of the high production value that probably even this podcast, you know, this one that you and I are doing together will have uh, mainly because uh, pod, podcasting for me is like an outlet for me to like, you know, kind of share my own thoughts and ambitions and insecurities, but do it in a way, you know, my, with that intention that I want to help other people. I, I get emails sometimes. Well, here's what I found through podcasting. And again, I'm, I'm just being general, but I'm doing this in a way that hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, this is helpful. 
what I found is some of the podcasts that get the biggest responses are the ones that I'm most embarrassed to put out. It's the ones where I, where I share my insecurities or my fears or my emotions. And then I'm always like, Oh, I should not, I should not put this out. I should wait. I should wait. And then I put it out there within five minutes of putting it out. I regret the decision. And within five days, I usually get like an email or two. You know, I I did this one called reverse networking and Mm -hmm. it, 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 it gained a bit of popularity because I was talking about how I got so caught up in my career ambitions that I forgot to reach out to people, you know, that I, that I frankly cared about, like my friends. And there was a guy that I hadn't reached out to for a good six months or a year because, you know, I, like all of us, I got busy and that kind of stuff. And when I finally reached out to him, he told me that he went through this whole battle where he was suicidal. And I was like, my gosh, what's happening in my life that, you know, I'm forgetting to reach out to people that mean the most to me. And, and so I call it reverse networking because, you know, I think there's times where all of us get so caught up in what's next that we forget to reach out to the people, you know, that, that have been part of our journey from the beginning. And I think it's always good, you know, to go back and reverse and, and reach out to some of those people and make sure, you know, check in with everybody. Hey, how you doing? Uh, what are you up to? How can I help? So in all of your entrepreneurial adventures that you've had in the course of your life, what would you do differently if you had a do-over? Oh, man. I, I try to live without regrets. So so there's a couple things you know that I share with my wife from time to time that I might do differently, but I would hope that the journey is the same. So things I might do differently is I might have learned how to play soccer because I think I would have been good at it. Uh, I might have joined the military because I think the structure would have been really, from a discipline perspective, I think it would have been really good for me. I think that would have built camaraderie. And I think somebody forcing me to do push-ups every day would have, you know, really raised my standard. And now I've, I've kind of had to, you know, force myself to do that kind of stuff. From a career perspective, I think I would have got an internship at a major studio right out of the gate because that would have gave me sort of a, a different kind of perspective on the industry. I don't know, however, if you and I would have been talking if I would have gone that route, though, because I think I would have just become, uh, you know, another number in an otherwise large organization. You know, it's always fascinating to hear people's story and sometimes the windy road that people take to get where they are today. I mean, like for me, I've got a degree in psychology. I I was going to I was you know first went off to college to be a doctor. That didn't work out. So I went into psychology. And today I produce documentaries and, uh, you know, industry films. So, uh, it's, it's very fascinating to see if, if we would have made this decision back then, if you'd have went off to the military, you know, where you'd have end up today. I mean, you just never know. You, you really don't. And I guess that, I guess that if there was a regret, my regret is that life is so short, you don't have the opportunity to do all these things. And that's why we have to make the most of the life that we do have. Right. Absolutely. And, and live with purpose and live with, uh, mission. And, you know, right now I'm in the middle of you know, distributing my film Heroin's Grip. And that's kind of my mission and purpose right now is to get that film out. And, and uh, it's, but, you know, I think purpose changes over your course of your life and, and mine certainly has. And I think that, uh, but I think every person that's out there, you know, young people, especially, you know, you know look at your life and what you have in the future and, live with purpose, live, live in a way that you don't have regrets. And, and looking back at your life, at the end of your life, you want to say, you know what, I did what I set out to do, or I made it, I, 
I, I gave it my best shot, you know, and that's what I don't want to do when I come to the end of my life is say, oh, I wish I'd have done this or wish I'd have done that. Well, I, I think that's a, a really good philosophy. And, you know, sometimes you get so caught up in the day-to-day minutia that you forget those things. You forget that there's a bigger purpose or a bigger point to all of it. And a lot of that is you forcing yourself again to step out of your comfort zone, to make that phone call to the person that you're scared to call. You know, because the other thing that I realized through all of this and, and I in all of this retelling of everything that we went over today where I was maybe name dropping a little bit, but here's what we know. We know that everybody has the same sort of goals in life. Like everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to take care of their family. Everybody has insecurities. So, you know, my dad used to tell me growing up, you know, that, that, that person that you're kind of afraid to meet, they put their pants on the same way as you one leg at a time. And I always found that to be like, you know, comforting Mm -hmm. in a way. I think we had the same dad. (laughs) because <laughs> my dad used to say the same thing <laughs> well and it's important to know that everybody's just people so all that stuff i was saying earlier about you know presenting with value first you just got to keep in mind that people are so busy because they're trying they're, they're trying to get ahead in their own life they're trying to make sure that they you know that they keep a roof over their head that their family's fed so you've got to always respect that and and i think you know again just to circle back to that a little bit where, where we fall short sometimes is we don't do enough, a good enough job respecting that. We forget that there's somebody else, you know, in this equation. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you mentioned, you know, psychology being your, your education, like what else is there, right? It's just people. Right. Yep. You know, I, I say that to some people and, and they're like, well, that's perfect for what you do. It's like, well, I guess in a way it is because I deal with people and making films and telling stories. And uh, so I guess it did set me up for, for, for success. Well, um, you know, you're, you're going into film distribution and, and part of distribution is obviously making sales and making sure that people consume your content. So the good news for you with psychology background is people buy based on emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some logic to it. Obviously you don't want to be, you don't want to, you don't want to present your film for, you know, $10 million to watch it one time. That's not going to work in the marketplace, but you sell it, you, you position it, you market it uh, similar to some of the other films that are out there competing for eyeballs. But at the same time, there's some sort of hook, some sort of emotional reason why somebody might be interested in your emotion picture. And it's up to you to figure out what that actual emotional reason is. And that only comes after trying to identify the actual people that are going to want to buy your film. Uh, so you mentioned that I like Mexican or you asked me that question, what's my favorite food? And I mentioned I like Mexican restaurant. You know, I like to think about Mexican restaurants and, and eating Mexican. But honestly, not all Mexican food is the same. Right. There's, there's different places, especially here in Los Angeles, that I'll go to because one thing at one Mexican restaurant on the menu sticks out above all the other Mexican restaurants. Like I can tell you that uh, like Frida in Beverly Hills has some pretty good mole or Antonio's has good mole or uh, El Compadre is a flaming margarita that I might enjoy on a Friday night. You know, so all these things kind of stick out and and the emotional appeal of, of having that experience with that kind of food draws me to that restaurant. So with your movie – it's a matter of figuring out what that emotional appeal is and making sure that people resonate with it. Very true. And that's something that we're, you know, we, we just launched a, a little campaign this, this past week on Facebook and, and man, just the, just the people that have connected to even the short trailer we put on is huge. It's amazing to see. 
and you can tell it's an emotional thing for a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, especially with the subject matter that we're working with. And, and uh, it's been a powerful thing to see. It's going to be exciting to see what happens when it comes out uh, uh, later this spring uh, on Amazon. So uh, yeah, we're excited. Uh, so last thing, what's the next big thing for you? Well, I think the next big thing for me is to figure out the next big thing. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of alluded to it. You know, whenever I do these podcasts, I, I often – there's a part of me that honestly wants to come on these things and pretend that I'm polished and I have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I know there's there's a lot of people that, that kind of play life that way. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that I'm not polished and I don't have it all figured out. You know, as I've alluded to a few times mm-hmm. – I'm just like everybody else in the sense that I'm, I'm working to make sure that, you know, my family's well taken care of. I'd like to retire early. Those are kinds of big personal things, but to get there, uh, that the journey continues. So I can tell you over the last few months, some of the things that I did to kind of push me out of my comfort zone. Right. So it's, it's easy for me to kind of talk about how independent projects are put together, how to make market and distribute independent films. But I don't know a lot about the studio system or, you know, the the machinery uh, in terms of getting projects produced through studios or television networks. So in the past few months, uh, two things have happened. One is I, I, uh, you know, have a relationship with a producer that has six projects kind of put together and, and quite a few of them fall under uh, studio level stuff. And I've been able to pitch different ideas to him. Uh, so in pitching ideas to him, I've actually been going out and I've been, I've been trying to find books that are under the radar, like, like books that I've read, uh, you know, in my youth that I think are interesting, uh, that would make for a good movie. So I've been reaching out to authors to see if the motion picture rights are available. And if they are, I've been pitching them over to this guy. So that's one thing I'm kind of playing in the background. Uh, another thing is I pitched a reality TV series, uh, to the learning channel, which was a fun cool. experience. Pretty they cool. ultimately didn't pick it up. But, but again, what it did was, you know, I built a relationship with, with, uh, you know, the woman that I, that I was pitching to. And she said, well, you know, these, you know, what, what you pitched is okay, but it's not what we're looking for. But if you ever have anything like this, this, or this, feel free to come back. So, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately again, it, it falls into, even if you don't fully know what you're working on next, in this particular moment, what are we doing? We're learning new people. We're learning new things and we're meeting new people. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think it's often been said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think that's true, especially in the film industry. Yeah, I'd say that's true for any industry. Uh, I, I totally agree with it. Like, here's, here's the other thing, too. Uh, the, the one thing that Nina Jacobson told me back to that meeting, you know, back, you know, a while ago, that has stuck with me is she's, she talked about credibility and she talked about the credibility factor that whatever you do in this industry, and it probably again, echoes into any other industry is whatever you do, whatever you're striving for, it's either going to help you build your credibility or it's going to chip away at your credibility. And I think about that with everything that I'm doing. Like, am I doing what I say I'm doing? Am I giving it a good shot? Am I am I being completely honest and transparent where I need to be so that people know what they're getting into? Like when I reached out to that producer guy to pitch him some, some motion picture ideas, it, it wasn't because, you know, I simply said to him, I was like, look, I, I've been playing this indie game for a while. I know, you know, people that finance pictures. I know people that distribute pictures. Uh, but I, I'm looking to see what it would take to get some, some, uh, you know, some material developed into a motion picture. And he was like, Oh, 
Well, I, I didn't try to sugarcoat it. I didn't, I didn't go into that call pretending that I had all the answers. It was just like, Hey, uh, what would be valuable to you? Uh, and if I see something, I'll throw it your way. And so I listened to what he was looking for and I've just kind of been on a hunt for that kind of stuff since. Hmm. Very cool. Well, you've been, uh, just a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, let, so if you're a young entrepreneur, maybe you're in the movie business, maybe you're wanting to get into the movie business, I think you need to hook up with Jason Brubaker, or at least follow his podcast. Jason, where can people find you? Uh, just reach out to me at filmmakingstuff.com, all one word, filmmakingstuff.com. Very cool. And you can uh, you can pick up his uh, blogs and podcasts there. And uh, Jason's a nice guy. Well, Jason, you and I have never met, but we've had several conversations via text or via email and maybe one or two via phone. But I uh, hope to meet you sometime soon. I think that'd be great. Well, well, you've certainly done a good job of, of uh, you know, get it, get at me. <laughs> you know, th- there's a lesson in this as well, right? You reached out to me with a podcast and you were like, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? So, so there's value in me to spend time with you because, you know, somebody listening to this might also end up being somebody that I end up working with someday down the road. Well, I want to say kudos to you for, for putting this together. I think it's really smart. You know, Napoleon Hill did that with Think and Grow Rich. He reached out to all these successful people over time, and then he became Napoleon Hill. <laughs> he wrote the book on success, right? He did. <laughs> Thanks to Jason for taking time to talk with me on the My Story podcast. I'll be sure to link to his website on the show's description. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and family. I'm also always eager to hear feedback, what you like, what you don't like. And so if you could leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. So here's today's action item. Take five minutes and make a short list of people you need to contact today or this week. Maybe it's someone you've been thinking about, maybe an old friend, maybe it's someone in the business community who you'd like to work with in the future. Write down their name, and but be sure to write down next to their name how you can offer value to them when you reach out to them. Don't just call them and bug them. Offer value. You know, and maybe it's encouraging them. Maybe it's introducing them to someone you know. But something that offers value. You know, make a difference in someone's life today. Coming up next week, we'll hear an interview with Tom Schultz. He's the founder of Group Publishing and Lifetree Cafe and the author of a lot of books, including Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore. Tom also directed the documentary film When God Left the Building. And he's the founding director of Group Serves, which organizes volunteer mission experiences to help disadvantaged families throughout the world. So be sure to tune in and check out next week's program. Hey, if you like the music on today's show, it's from Drew Davidson. You can get all of Drew's music on iTunes and Spotify or on his website, drewdavidson.com. Last, if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe and share. And I'll talk to you again next week right here on the My Story Podcast.